Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. As always, keep an eye out for our Q&A and discussion episodes. Until then, here's the Gospel from July 30th, 2017, the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again. And out of joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who, searching for fine pearls, when he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So it was uh, May of 1940, the uh, German army has advanced uh, into France, and they have these uh, really aggressive tank divisions that are really crushing the Allies in uh, France. Huge numbers of uh, British, French, Dutch, and Belgian troops have been um, kind of cut off and surrounded. And they retreat to this town, this little town on the coast of France. It's called Dunkirk. And uh, they have nowhere to go. These tanks are coming after them, and they're now at the coast. They literally have their, their backs to the English Channel. Um, it's kind of a nightmare, and it's hundreds of thousands of these troops German subs and German planes are uh, preventing uh, British rescue ships from coming in. They're trying to come in and they're being, you know, uh, bombed and and torpedoed. And these tanks are approaching as well. So Churchill uh, speaks to the the people of England and he, uh, he, he asks for civilian help. Very practically, he asks people who have boats to get in them. Um, any, any kind of boat, essentially, fishing boats, sailboats, pleasure boats, and he asks the people to uh, sail across the channel and assist in this desperate moment to try to rescue these, these soldiers. And it happened. Um, it's kind of an amazing story. They managed to ultimately rescue, they say, 300 and 30,000 troops. They got them off the beaches of uh, Dunkirk and got them home. And that's the movie, the movie that just came out. It's the, the basic story. There's a whole lot more to it. I saw it, saw it the other day, uh, and it's good. It's, it was real good. Um, the story is amazing. It just, it's an amazing piece of history. The way they, they put the movie together, I thought, was pretty interesting. The director, he he kind of took the story from these three different perspectives and he kind of just intermingled them. One was from the perspective of being on the beach at Dunkirk and that's these soldiers, you know, desperately trying to find a boat to escape. That takes place over the course of, it was an eight-day ordeal. So that happens over these eight days. And the other perspective is from the sea. And they profile this Englishman who gets in his own private boat 
and he crosses the channel. That takes place in one day, and in the final is uh, from the perspective of the air. It's these English fighter pilots, and that's an hour. So, and like I said, he kind of coolly took all three and he kind of intermingled them, I guess. When uh, Churchill enlisted the uh, civilian help, the King of England um, declared a national day of prayer. Um, this was desperate. This was, they, the historians say, this was, uh, they probably would have lost the war if this if this rescue hadn't, hadn't, hadn't happened, um, that's, how, that's how bad things were. And there were so many of these, these troops there. They call it the, uh, the miracle of Dunkirk. I read this article. In fact, uh, Churchill called it a miracle of deliverance. But this article I just read uh, yesterday, uh, the name of the article was, was The Miracle of Dunkirk really a miracle? And it's kind of an interesting question. They take these historical facts and they kind of combine them with these sort of religious, spiritual principles. You know, they called it this miracle, just sort of a, you know, kind of a dramatic choice of word or words. But this guy said, well, no, no, was it, was it really a miracle? Could it have really been like a direct God intervention? Miracle. In the article, it describes these three um, interesting little facts that happened over the course of those eight days. One was something that Hitler did. He, these tanks were, were coming, and they were close. They say they were only about 18 miles from Dunkirk. And he stopped them. He called this um, halt. And they just stopped rolling for about 11 hours. And then they resumed, but apparently the, the, the resuming of these tanks was very slow. They were slow getting started, and it delayed everything. It ended up becoming almost like a 48-hour delay, they say. And in that 48 hours was kind of like the window that they needed at Dunkirk to kind of organize everybody and, and, and lead them toward this evacuation. The other piece was the uh, this storm that happened. It was a pretty wicked storm kicked up in France, and it grounded for a couple of days, I think two days, the planes, the German Air Force. And then the last thing they talk about was the English Channel, which apparently is always choppy. It's like, even on a calm day, the waters are always rough. And they said over these couple of days, they were calm kind of inexplicably calm. Especially, they said, this crazy storm had just happened. So they should have been rougher than normal. And it was calmer than normal. So anyway, some people think, because of those three little facts, it was like literally a miracle. Like God stepped in. God stopped Hitler. God caused the storm. God calmed the channel. Um, you know, I guess some people might believe that. Some people may be, well, I don't know, maybe a little more skeptical. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very like, wow, that's pretty 
seriously coincidental, these things happening. By the way, they don't know why Hitler called, called for this halt. There's never been like a, was never really a, a legitimate explanation. That kind of adds to it, like, why did he stop it? So I think miracle talk, miracle theories are interesting. I think they really are. I think this one is pretty legitimately interesting when you consider those facts. But I'll also say this to you, and this is kind of personal. I find miracle talk, it makes me uneasy at times. I think sometimes we, we run too far and too fast with miracle belief. And hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we don't believe in miracles. Like, if I don't, we don't believe in miracles, we're all in the wrong place right now. We ought to be somewhere else. Like, our faith is pretty miracle-driven. But you know what I find? Pe you know the people who find miracle talk difficult? People who've experienced tragedy in their lives. People who prayed for a miracle and never got it. When those people hear somebody else talking about you know, the miracles all over the place that they're encountering, it aggravates them. Sometimes it even more than aggravates them. Because it's sort of implicit in that is, so, God was there for you, but not for me. Not for my loss, not for my grief. You know, 330,000 people were saved at Dunkirk. Well, that kind of sounds a little miraculous when you consider those other facts. But 60 million people died as a result of World War II. How about the families of those 60 million? When the families of the Dunkirk survivors are pro proclaiming miracle evidence, how about concentration camp victims, the relatives of people who died in the, in the ovens? And then it's like, I, I don't know. How about the the two little twin boys, the three-year-old twins who died, who drowned a couple of days ago out in Melville. Did you read about that one? It's like a horrifying story. These three-year-old boys. The mom wakes up, looks out into the pool, and sees them in the pool dead. You know what I suspect this morning? The parents of those two boys or the grandparents of those boys aren't going to take too well to miracle talk. I see it more this way, personally. I think there's almost like this, there's two kinds of miracles. Capital M miracles and small m miracles. The capital M ones are the big miracles. Like, yeah, when God flat out does something, steps in, changes events. And like I said, you know, we got to believe in those. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. The resurrection of Jesus. We don't buy those. Again, we're, we're in the wrong place. 
And maybe if you believe it, if you take it even further, maybe you say, yeah, I think he, I think he calmed the English Channel those days. And I, I think he got into Hitler's head somehow and caused him to stop those tanks. If you believe that, I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying I'm not so sure I think it was a miracle. Not a, not a capital M miracle. The small M ones, I think they're almost more important because they involve us. We're almost needed in order for them to play out. You know, in the movie, I, I said how they had like the three different storylines all converging. Well, one of them was the one at sea. And it was actually probably the piece I liked the best. It was this Englishman who owned a boat. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a sailor. But he listened to what Churchill asked for. And he goes out in the boat with his son and, and this other kid from town. And he crosses the channel in this, you know, fishing boat. German subs are sinking ships. German planes are sinking ships. And this guy's in the middle of it. He's this parable today. He's a small M miracle, I think. He's what Jesus calls us to in this parable. What does he do? He risks everything for the one thing that matters. What's the gospel talk about this pearl? What's his face like? You find the pearl and then nothing else matters in relation to the pearl. Once you figure out what the pearl is in your life, you pretty much sell everything else for the pearl. Or you sacrifice everything else for the pearl. So what was this Englishman's pearl? Freedom, maybe? Honor? Love of country? And he says, That's my, they're my pearls, so I'll lose the boat. For something more important. I'll maybe lose my life for something more important. The pearl's even bigger than my life. And it's certainly bigger than my boat. I think there's small and miracle all over that story in that movie. What this guy does. What he risks. So, I mean, it seems to me, here's, I, I guess, the obvious question. What's your pearl? Or, or who's your pearl? What do, you, what do you sell everything else for? What do you sacrifice everything else for? This is a big, critical question. What guides my life? What matters most in my life? I remember uh, having this conversation. Uh, I met a guy, had an appointment with a, this, this dad uh, maybe about a year ago, and he was, we were in, in my office in the rectory. And I got on, on a coffee table, I got this little, uh, it's like a matchbox car, a little bit bigger than a, than a little, it's a car. It's an old Ford Mustang convertible, like a 1964. It's, I love it. It's just this class. I love those old Mustangs. And uh, somebody gave it to me. They knew, I, they knew I loved Mustangs. So I had it there. And this guy's, we're talking about whatever we were talking about. And then he goes, uh, I used to have one of those. 
so that's where the conversation went. I was curious, and he said he uh, he bought up he bought a beat up old one, and he restored it. And he said it kind of looked it was that color. It was a convertible, and he loved it. Um, and then I said to him, "Do you still have it?" And he said, "Nah, I sold it." And I was like, "You sold it? Why? Why would you sell it?" And he goes, uh, "Well, when you have three kids and your wife is expecting number four, and you have a you live in a two bedroom apartment with one bathroom, you sell the Mustang. Like the Mustang's got to go because the apartment's way too small." And he said he sold the car and that put that toward a down payment on a house. It's this parable. I think what the guy has said was, I love the Mustang, but it wasn't the Pearl. The Pearls needed another bedroom and maybe a second bathroom. Maybe when he was 19, it was the Pearl, the Mustang. But it wasn't at 35 or whatever he was. I was talking to this uh, mom not too long ago. Uh, she was telling me about her, uh, her son, who's, I think, 15. And she noticed this summer, after school got out, maybe the first three or four weeks, that he wasn't really hanging out with his friends, his group of friends, almost at all. He was hanging with one kid, but the rest of them... She, she was no sign of them. And she, she asked him, she said, you know, where are the guys? And she said he didn't, uh, he didn't really answer the question. He kind of blew it off. And she let it go. And then maybe two weeks more pass and still no sign of his friends. So she brings it up again and he kind of blows it off again. And she finally says, hey, like, where are the boys? What's going on? Why aren't you hanging out with them? So then he told her. He didn't want to tell her, but he told her. He said, Mom, they're all drinking. Pretty much any time they can hang out, when they can, they're drinking. And he was like, I don't want to drink. And I don't want to lie to you about drinking. And he said, the kid he's hanging with, the rest of the guys don't like him. And they try to exclude him. And he's like, I'm not going to ditch him. So what's the point there? Well, number one, I love this kid. You know, I want to be this kid when I grow up. He's just so amazing, whoever he is. But you know what he's saying? It's like, you know, his mom's respect and loyalty to a friend. Like, at 15, they're his pearls. And he's willing to lose everybody else for these pearls. And he's probably not going to call either of them pearls at 15, but they matter to him. This kid has figured out what matters. And he's willing to sacrifice everything else for what matters. I think it's this parable played out. I think it's this small m miracle stuff. Ultimately, what's the pearl supposed to be? God. Like it's not even our families. It's not even the people we love most. And man, I mean, of course they matter. But ultimately, it is God. We make God the pearl 
then everything else plays out the way it should. You know that Dunkirk story, um, they say ultimately it was the small boats that saved the day. Part of it was practical. They, um, you couldn't land these giant, if the British boats made it past the subs and the planes, you couldn't land them at the, at the shoreline. They were gigantic ships. So these little boats were able to make their way in, pick up these soldiers, and get them to the ships. And in other cases, they got them on the small boats and they just went right back to England. But the point is, it was the small boats that really did it. I think in life it's often that way. It's the small boats that do the big things. It's the small M miracles that make the difference. So, find your boat, cross the channel, and be that difference. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, keep an eye out for our discussion and our Q&A episodes. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back next week, and until then, God bless.